Welcome to Vikings Happy Hour, where we mix our favorite beverage and talk of your Minnesota Vikings. Hello and welcome back to another week of Vikings Happy Hour. I got my guys Ryan and Miles here tonight, and we are joined by Daniel House, founder of Vikings Corner, Gopher Guru. He's had time with Score North, Gopher Hole. How are all of you doing tonight? Doing well. It feels good to be in the house here. That's quite the intro. I'm, I'm digging that, guys. <laughs> yeah, I got to give mad props there to David. Uh, he set that up when this show first launched a couple of months ago, and um, it's awesome. I love all the highlights, uh, and it just gets me so stoked for, for football season. And in this month especially, right, we're only a few weeks away from from the NFL draft, which is a huge reason why we have you on because not only are you knowledgeable with college football and the Gophers, but the Vikings as well. It seems like the perfect combination to have you on. So uh, I'm excited to dive into to everything. Uh, but before we get started, uh, how we typically start this show is everyone kind of goes around and, and says what they're drinking. So I'll start it off again and we'll just go down the line like we usually do. But uh, another week and I have another uh can I get it in there? There it is. Another vodka Sprite this week. Um, I got called out last week because it it was too clear, but I promise you it is vodka Sprite. So uh, <laughs> even though it is National Beer Day, I feel like I, I missed that opportunity. But oh, well, Daniel, what do you got? I've got the classic bubble up soda. So this <laughs> is the that? retro lemon lime soda. There you go. Matt's Throwback. I highly recommend Daniel. it. It's my favorite. Uh, and I, I pick it every time for my choice of drink. So it's also in a green you... bottle. Yeah, so it perfectly <laughs> plays with my green screen. Isn't that awesome? It's like clear, <laughs> magical Where did you pick drink. That up. Uh, you go to the retro store. It's Blue Sun Soda up in the Blaine area, and you can get a whole wide okay. range of retro sodas. That's awesome. I'm gonna head up there. Ryan, you sneak previewed it before the show, but you're you're on that bourbon train tonight. Yeah, I missed out on uh, National Beer Day as well. I, I can't keep up with all these specific days for everything <laughs> in this world. But yeah, no, my wife was nice enough to um, head to the liquor store today. Where am I at here? We got some Four Roses bourbon. So it's um, here. Anyone who's out there who's bourbon drinker, for me. It's probably your best uh, everyday bourbon, in my opinion. It's a little sweeter, uh, but it, it's delicious and it's affordable. I think this bottle is like twenty-seven bucks, which uh, it's good for. Uh, it's good for old fashions too. Very good for old fashions, especially if you like a little sweeter old fashioned. If you want a little more bitter one, I recommend um, you know like Woodford Reserve or something like that. But yeah, it's 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 really good. Sweet and miles. I got a few things. I got tea. <laughs> what it? kind Where of tea? It? There it is. Uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. You don't have lemon, to, to that. Lemon ginger tea. I have a a spotted cow. Uh, shout out to Matt. Uh, You're Matt, welcome. Matt, Matt was in Wisconsin and he picked me up a case. Um, uh, it's the only good thing about Wisconsin, anyways. And then I said water. Fair enough. That I mean. I don't know if you're going to be able to drink all of that in this in this one show, but I you know, doubt if you can it. go for it. <laughs> well, anyway, let's let's get diving in. Uh, and, and the first thing I want to start off with people who who may not know who you are, Daniel. Uh, if you want to just kind of introduce yourself, tell us what you do, um, and and anything else you want listeners or or people watching to to know about you. Well, I've been on the Vikings blogging community since 2012, so this will be nine years in June. Vikings Corner, mnvikingscorner.com, cover a whole different slew of things on the website, the NFL draft, training camp, uh, writing notebooks for that. That's one of the more popular things on the website, and just various news articles and breakdowns throughout the year, and then launched gophersguru.com, recently a subscription-based website covering University of Minnesota Athletics. So you can check that out. Uh, subscribe for $5 a month and you get access to the premium content. It's in-depth features, analytics breakdowns, a whole slew of different content, not just covering go for football, but basketball, did some volleyball features. So a lot of different things on the website. 
I just love talking football, and the Vikings is where it all started, so it's good to be back and still touch on the Vikings when I have time to do so. Yeah, this has got to be a busy time for you right now. you got the NFL draft going on, uh, a lot of stuff going on with Gopher basketball with Ben Johnson just uh, getting hired on and the transfer portals through the roof, uh, and then you just got normal you know, Vikings free agency, so it's a... Uh, it's got to be a busy time, but I want to get your thoughts on kind of the Vikings, you know, off season thus far. Like, what are your thoughts? We got some signings. Patrick Peterson brought back Mackenzie Alexander, signed Dalvin Tomlinson. Uh, what, do, what do you think so far of uh, the Vikings off season? Well, if you watched the defense last year, you knew that they were really going to need to address a lot of the key positions on that side of the ball. The secondary didn't have any leadership. It was a group filled with youth last year. Jeff Gladney, Cameron Dantzler, all those guys gaining experience on the fly, and then Mike Hughes gets hurt. So signing Patrick Peterson, getting some veteran experience in there, and getting him in a scheme that probably fits his strengths better – is enticing. Arizona ran the fourth most man coverage snaps in 2020, and the Vikings had the fifth lowest man coverage rate. So he's going to be playing in a scheme that suits his strength. He's a very good zone coverage corner. So with the way Mike Zimmer does things defensively, I'm expecting him to fit well. And not only that, from a playing style perspective, but leadership. That defense was missing leadership all season at almost all the levels, you you point to it and you go, who is the leader of the defense? And when Eric Kendricks went down, it got exposed even more. The depth of the defense was not where it needed to be. And I think the Vikings realized that this offseason, that they needed to address all the positions on the defense, specifically also going in and getting that run defense figured out with Dalvin Tomlinson and Michael Pierce coming back off the opt-out. And I know a lot of people said, It's kind of a weird move uh, signing a guy that's played one tech primarily, zero tech playing inside, but he's played a multitude of different alignments, especially at Alabama playing some three tech. I like the idea of him sliding inside on third down and giving some value against the pass. He can push pockets, and I think that's an underrated aspect of his skill set. Obviously, that's not going to be Pierce's strength on third down rushing the passer, so you can stop the run with those two on the field on first and second down and slide Dalvin Tomlinson over on third down and get after the quarterback because you have to have more success this year stopping the run on first and second down. You just can't have offenses in second and third and short all day. It is just critical to patch up that run defense because it it's, makes everything tick defensively. Yeah, you, and you know, you touched a lot on the defense, and I think uh, one thing that a lot of fans are waiting for is to kind of see some additions on the offensive side of the ball. Um, Miles, I know uh, you have talked about him a lot. I've seen Daniel talk about him a lot, but now he's gone. I'm talking about Forrest Lamp, uh, who was just signed away today to the Buffalo Bills. Miles, what are your takes now? Where do the Vikings look uh, for offensive line help? As you know, I think a lot of fans, myself included, were kind of hoping this Lamp signing would come to fruition. Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised the deal didn't get done. Um, just obviously, we don't. I haven't seen the numbers for Lamp. I'm assuming it's close to vet minimum, if not the vet minimum for him on a one-year deal. Um, I'm kind of surprised the Vikings weren't in on giving him, you know, kind of like the Nick Vigil and Xavier Woods type of deal, where it's just above the minimum, and there's maybe some incentives to get him a little, a little higher. But he has a, a lower cap hit. I think it was like 1.75 for those two guys. Um, I I wouldn't have had an issue giving Forrest Lamp that type of offer. Obviously, that's me saying that. It's clear it's clear the team probably didn't have that same type of offer out to him. Because um, if I think I think if they did, he probably would have signed here because then you would have you'd you'd have true competition at that left guard spot with Forrest Lamp and Mason Cole. And then what that move would have done would slide Dakota Dozier into a true depth position, which is at best what he is. And I don't think. Um, so where, where my issue is, it's not the fact that they didn't sign Forrest Lamp. I think he would have been a good fit here. Um, it's more the fact that I want to see them add more to that room to create competition so that a Dakota Dozier isn't put into a position where you're you're an injury away or you're um, even going to consider starting him at left guard this season. And, you know, going back quick just to, to Forrest Lamp and, and Daniel, I, the reason I – you know, I think I got so excited about him. I had thought about him in the years past, but earlier this offseason, you had kind of written up a thread 
uh, on Twitter about Forrest Lamp. So now that he's off the market, uh, are there any other guys out there that that you can think of off the top of your head, or maybe you just have done the research uh, that could kind of come in and fill uh, a, a role similar to what Forrest Lamp could have done for us? At this point, I would address it in the draft just because of the way things look board-wise, talent-wise. You start breaking down the class and you see the options. Rayshon Slater, I think he's probably going to go number eight to the Panthers now because they will need to address the offensive line. But there is a chance one of the two top offensive linemen could slide down the board a little bit if there's a run on the quarterbacks, Rayshon Slater and Penny Sewell. Would you be willing to – Move up a few spots. I don't think that's probably the best strategy. I'd look to trade back. And I think it makes sense for a couple of reasons because, first of all, you really want to try to get some real estate back so you can get into the second round. That just takes away a lot of flexibility that you have for draft strategy. If you're able to trade back, you're still in the mix for a lot of really good offensive line prospects. Tevin Jenkins is a guy that I've been digging into. I really like his film, he's a great athlete plays with this tenacious mentality all the time, and you can get him out in space, move him. He'll fit well in the scheme. Uh, I also really, really like Dylan Radins from NDSU, guy that tested really well, similar, gives me shades of Brian O'Neill, and the agility metrics are really good. He was very, very, very good at the Senior Bowl. I thought he was one of the best offensive linemen there. If you trade back, you put yourself right in the wheelhouse. I didn't even mention Jalen Mayfield yet with Michigan as well. I think there's a lot of untapped potential within his game. So if you get into that sweet spot between 20 and 45, for example, there are a lot of really good offensive linemen available there. And if you're able to trade back, you could do that. Or do you look at a trade for Orlando Brown Jr.? That's something that, you know, would be an enticing move for the Vikings, depending on how the board shakes out. Yeah, and I know that anytime you mention or anybody in general mentions Orlando Brown Jr., you're going to instantly pique the interest of Ryan, uh, the Oklahoma Sooners fanatic, uh, almost to a fault at times. Uh, But Ryan, here we are. I I thought this rumor had passed, and then Daniel brought it up again today. What do you think? Do you? I mean, we hear about it. We've heard about it, that maybe he's not a fit for this offense. But uh, I don't think this rumor has gone away in over a month. Uh, we even know that uh, Doogie has confirmed it, that, yeah, they've talked to them a few different times about Orlando Brown Jr. So do you think that's still a route we should go? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, yes. <laughs> we, but, you know, so – I was talking to Miles and you, Matt, back in that draft class. So that was a class that we took Brian O'Neill. And and one of the things that kept popping up is he's not a scheme fit. He's not a scheme fit. He's not a scheme fit. And I said, I don't care. He can pass block. Nobody gets around him. Again, this is college, right? And, And he's a fantastic player that didn't let up a sack in college. Of course, he slips down to the third round because his testing numbers were horrific. And um, and, and he's become a very solid, above average um, tackle for the for the Ravens. So, yeah, depending on the draft capital that it's going to take to get him, because it's it's kind of a double whammy. You're going to have to give up some sort of draft capital plus paying him left tackle money, uh, you know, for him to to stay with the team long term. Um, so, so it's kind of a double-edged sword in that sense, but you are locking up basically the two most important positions outside of a quarterback and maybe a receiver, I guess, on the offense in left tackle and right tackle, uh, because you'd have O'Neal on the, on the right and, and, uh, Brown on the left, which really gives you, you know, security on that offensive line. And then you can fill in the rest. Again, we've done a poor job of doing that in the past, but it's possible. Um, so again, depends on the draft capital. If we're talking like a swap of, of, of first round picks plus like a, you know, one of our fourths or something like that, I say go for it because again, you're essentially at that point getting Orlando Brown for what we would assume is like a second round pick. Cause that's what we're aiming to get in the trade back. And I would definitely take Orlando Brown and a contract for a second round pick. Right. Well, and, um, and, and Ryan real quick on top of that, let's say, it, let's say it's a pick swap. So you're moving back 13 spots and everyone's like, Oh, well you have to pay him. Well, technically you don't. So what you could do, and I, we've talked about this too, Ryan, you keep him at his current contract and then you potentially look to franchise tag him next year. 
And in my, and in my opinion, if if you were to have Orlando Brown even for two seasons, I think that move's still worth it. I'm not saying that doesn't mean you can't try to get an extension done with him in the meantime. Like the whole idea would be to make him your left tackle of the future. But you know, let's just say hypothetically you only have him for two seasons. I still think that move's worth it because then maybe they drafted a guy in the middle in the middle rounds that they think could be the potential the future left tackle if if Orlando Brown's not the guy, you know, long-term, it could just be a short-term fix while you're trying to kind of win now for a guy that's not expensive this season. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and then, and then to address the, the um, scheme fit concerns. Yeah, sure. He's not the most athletic guy in the world. You watch the Ravens play, you watch at Oklahoma, they ran a lot of um, you know, pulling actions where the and granted it's not outside the hash or anything like that. And again, he tested horrifically, but he can move. I mean, these guys are NFL athletes. They can they can move. They can get out in space if they need to. He might not be as good as Brian O'Neill at at hitting the you know hitting the linebacker or the cornerback out in the open field, but he can pass block better than pretty much anyone else on our offensive line. So, and that's where our biggest deficit is. So, I, I I'm on team. Let's just get some pass blockers on this team. Run blocking, he can do it. Again, he's not going to get out in space as easily as some of these other guys. But let's get some guys to protect Kirk because he can't. You know, he's not. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not. Uh, you know. You know Deshaun Watson or whoever. You know, guys who can create on their own uh, if the rush comes through. So we need some guys that can actually stop that rush. So well, and, I'm and real quick. Yeah. And real quick too on that left tackle. If you bring in a, a veteran type left tackle in Orlando Brown. That left guard doesn't need to be as talented. Like a Mason Cole probably slides in a little bit better. You feel a little bit more comfortable with him as your left guard if you had a guy like Orlando Brown as your left tackle. Absolutely. Daniel, we've heard Miles and Ryan's take on this in regards to potentially paying O'Neill and uh, Orlando Brown Jr. as well as Scheme Fit. What are your takes on it? I would say that they'll find a way to make it work financially, especially if you look ahead to what the salary cap's going to do over the next couple of years. There'll be a huge jump with the TV deals coming on the books and the COVID uh, effects this year that caused the salary cap to drop a bit. So I would not worry about the financials of a deal. It's more the compensation. Are you willing to give up the compensation needed to do that? Do you feel like some of these younger guys in the draft and that sweet spot that we talked about from 20 to 45, are you willing to move back, take the best player available and then get a second round pick back and then take an offensive lineman like a Dylan Radins or a Brady Christensen from BYU. There are a lot of really good options in the upper stage of the second round. And that's where you'd really like to have that second round pick that you gave away for Yannick Ngakwe. So it comes down to, Gosh. is a team going to call you and want your pick at 14? The Vikings are going to have an attractive pick because someone is going to slide. Someone will filter down to that spot. And heck, the Ravens could wait and see if it's a premier receiver. Is Jalen Waddle available? Devonta Smith? Vikings would have a decision to make. Do you take the wide receiver three, which we know is extremely valuable to have three wide receiver weapons that are dynamic like that? The numbers tell you that. Or do you want to possibly make that move with another team, you know, see what happens when you trade back, what your options are, and, and get more picks in that sweet spot uh, that we talked about earlier? Yeah, I think I, I agree with all of you. Um, and I think for me, I don't see a trade happening unless it's on draft day. Um, mm -hmm. yep. I think – your point, Daniel, if a premier receiver is there for the Ravens to potentially trade up and take um, and for the Vikings to potentially trade back, I think that's an ideal situation. But you also brought up some some prospects that could be available later. Um, you know, if they just wanted to do a trade back in the first, acquire a second round pick, maybe target a guy like Brady Christensen. So uh, I do think this is a, a really good option for the Vikings. Um, to your point, I'm not concerned and about financials either. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, actually, and just a quick point about draft prospects. So, you know, obviously, there's some really talented guys in this class. Uh, one guy that we haven't really talked about on this show and we don't talk about a lot on our Mock Draft Monday is Jalen Mayfield. And, Daniel, you brought him up. And I'm sure you're more aware of him than most because, 
again, your Gophers guru, so you're watching a lot of Big Ten football, right? He's a guy that I find very intriguing. So uh, doing a lot of my rankings and stuff, I haven't done my final rankings for offensive tackles, but at one point or another, he was actually up there for offensive tackle 3-4 for me, right? And which is higher than consensus um, because of his potential. But what's interesting about him, I think, and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, again, very athletic guy, very powerful needs to work on technique quite a bit, but he's a guy that I think could play in any position on the offensive line. So obviously you, you would want to draft him for tackle, especially if you're talking first round, late first round pick or, you know, early second round. Um, But if you get, again, the whole point is to get the best five guys on that offensive line to, to move forward with. So if that means that Ezra, you know, O'Neal's at left tackle, Ezra's at right tackle and O'Neal, or I'm sorry, Mayfield, plugs in at left guard or right guard, then that's the best combination you have, right? Um, so I just kind of want to get your take on that. What What do you think of uh, Mayfield as, you know, one of those higher-end prospects that could fit really anywhere, kind of like a Roshan Slater, but, you know, just not quite as good? Nobody talks enough about Jalen Mayfield, and he could play right tackle for you in a scenario where you move Brian O'Neill to the left side. I think he probably projects best to play guard at the next level, watching him play. But that athleticism, being able to move in space, he's got good power too. Uh, impressive in the running game. That's what I noted while I was preparing for Minnesota-Michigan game this last year. I thought that Mayfield stood out a lot on film. And he's someone who, like you said, doesn't have the technical components maybe mastered yet. But you get him in a system where he's able to use those athletic traits and his own blocking scheme and have that versatility. I believe versatility is the most important thing the Vikings should be looking for in these offensive linemen. That's why I really like Dylan Radins from NDSU as well, because he can play guard or tackle. Jalen Mayfield can play guard or tackle. Uh, There are a lot of different options, but, you know, Brady Christensen, for example, I think he could plug right in and play left tackle immediately. That BYU offensive line, an entire group, was so impressive last year. Zach Wilson had all day to throw. Some of those bombs that you see, they're like nine-step drops where he has to have time to move in the pocket, and he did. He was protected on his blind side a ton. So there are a lot of really good options for the Vikings. That's why I think the trade-back scenario is best. But the Brown, you know, if there's someone that the Ravens really like, maybe they up their deal Uh, in the Brown scenario, and you're able to come away with uh, something that you think could be a steal. There are a lot of options, more so than usual, because of the fact that the offensive line class is is rather solid. I've heard you guys say um, some names, and this isn't the the order that I thought we'd go in, but it's it's working this way. So let's just stick on on targets for the Vikings uh, before we head over and talk about the Gophers prospects. Uh, Who are some names that you guys like? Miles pounds the table for quarterback anytime. And I can't say that I blame him. I just don't think it's going to happen. So maybe for this one, we'll just stick realistic uh, options for the Vikings. Daniel, do you have any names that, uh, <laughs> that Miles, you're, I like uh, your wavelength that Justin Fields slide all the way down to like 10 and they move up four spots and go draft Justin Fields. What do you think? He, of slides that? To, he slides to nine and you call up your buddy, George Payton. And get, hey. and get and get a di- and get a discount. You get a discount on the deal too. You never but know. In that it, scenario, it, why wouldn't why wouldn't Peyton take Justin Fields? He's gonna take him. I think. Yo, got, get, take backs out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and let me have this for once. Just let me have it for once. I told it, and, yeah. I, and I'll go on record here and say it. If the Vikings draft Justin Fields, I will buy you. A Justin Fields jersey, Miles. How about Fields, Fields or Lance? I'll split Damn, the Lance got... jersey. All right, but but there, there, there's literally no. I, I mean, I could be completely wrong, but somebody needs to get fired if those four. You know, obviously Lawrence and Wilson are obviously the top two, but if Lance and Fields aren't gone in those top four, why picks, is why so, is Wilson the obvious obvious second pick? That's the craziest well, I, thing to me. Be, I mean, I agree. I I would take Fields at two, but you know, I, I actually I actually like Lance as my as my QB two. I think he has the highest potential of anyone in this class, honestly. But he's also the biggest risk, in my opinion. But there's zero chance Mac Jones needs to be taken 
anywhere in round one, in my opinion. And the fact that he's being talked over both fields, which is asinine. Lance, again, I can understand because Lance is much more of an unknown, but it just is asinine to me. I I can't believe that we're even talking at the fact that fields could be slipping to, to the Broncos even. I mean, he should be number two, worst case number three. So So here's my scenario. Real quick, here's my scenario for why I think the Vikings could maybe make a move at quarterback. Here, it's hypothetical. What if they understand that they're not going to be able to get Kirk Cousins back or that Kirk Cousins isn't going to agree to any kind of contract extension, restructure, what have you? You know, obviously he has a $45 million cap hit next year. The Vikings know that they can't go into next year with that number staying the same. So instead of having a reactionary plan next year of saying, well, we have to force ourselves into extension and overpay for him. Why don't we make a move now to put someone in place that kind of forces his hand to either stay or he's gone, right? You trade him, he's gone after 2022, whatever it is. Maybe there's a scenario there where the Vikings are like, we have an answer there now. And we know that Kirk's not going to be the guy beyond this season even. Let's make a plan to let's make a plan to go get a future quarterback. And maybe it helps save Rick's job. Zim's job for the future because they have a guy in place that that's ready to take over because the one thing we know and I think Doogie and other people have mentioned this the Wilfs don't want to get worse at quarterback this season they want to find a way to get into the playoffs and try to get it on a run like that's always been their goal so what if they're like well we keep Kirk and knowing that we can keep that ceiling while also having his replacement in place and maybe you get the best out of Kirk for this season while also having his replacement on on staff on uh, on roster, I don't know. It's it's a big hypothetical, but it's something I've been trying to. There's so many like I mean, the Vikings are in such a weird position. They're in such a weird position that like they could go so many different routes. And I think Zim kind of hinted at like this idea that you know we've we've did enough moves in free agency to to like take take best player available. Well, maybe that does mean a little bit more of an aggressive move to go up to seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, whatever, to go get a quarterback if a guy falls. And especially if you're talking like a guy like Lance um, is is falling because that's the best case scenario you can have for Lance is having a veteran quarterback on the roster for him to sit a year. Because I don't think he's probably – he could come in day one and and dominate. I'm sure he could. But his best case scenario for his development, in my opinion – is doing the Mahomes, you know, style where he sits behind a quality NFL quarterback, learns how to properly, you know, study properly, you know, learns some more, you know, better technique. Cause again, some of his footwork is kind of sloppy at times, you know, and learn how to play the game and read defenses at an NFL level, you know, you know, more sharply. Right. And then, and then let him take over in 2022 or in 2021, if, if we're, you know, just not doing well, um, and, I'm, I'm big Vikings, on that. And the Vikings use the extra cap space they're getting in June to go grab a, a veteran offensive lineman. Let's go. Hey, I solved it. It's, it's a wrap. We can hey, wrap the show, David. We're good because that's the solution. I found it. Daniel, I have to get your takes on this. I feel like you have probably watched quite a bit of Justin Fields. You've probably watched a exactly, bit of Micah. Trey Lance uh, and Ryan and Miles are 100% on board. Where where do you stand here? I'm 100% on board for Justin Fields. And I know people are constantly hammering home the progression thing, but they don't understand that Ohio State's offense has so many option routes that force him to have to wait a little bit longer to throw the football. The routes have to develop in front of him. And if you watch that game against Clemson and don't think that Justin Fields can play in the NFL at a high level, I don't know what to tell you. That was one of the best performances we've witnessed in college football in a long time. I mean, the guy, his ribs were totally done for. He stays out on the field and is dropping dimes, 60, 65-yard bombs, just downfield passing, accuracy all year, ball placement so good downfield. Uh, He's great in the intermediate game. And I just think the guy is vastly underrated. It it feels weird to say that, but the NFL community does not seem to be extremely high on Justin Fields right now. And if he does slide down the board, you have to wonder, do the Wilfs want to start thinking about what the future looks like? You only have 
like Miles said, you're only tied to Kirk Cousins for two more years. You got that high cap hit on the horizon. You need to start thinking about a possible plan. And you're in a position in the draft where you the Wolves don't want to be in this spot in the first round very often. They want to be a team that makes the playoffs. You are in a position where you could possibly move up four or five spots and find the quarterback that changes the whole future and trajectory of the franchise. You don't like how things are going over the course of the next two years. You can throw your guy in there and see what happens. I would not shut the door on a quarterback. I would not at all shut it. And you open up that cap space and you open up that cap space too, because with the the cap set to balloon, if you have a rookie quarterback, uh, a quarterback on a rookie deal and you get rid of Kirk's number money, like then you build around the rest of that quarterback with that extra money that you have too. So there's so many different possibilities that you could do in that scenario. Absolutely. And, and I wonder, you know, we, we say that the NFL community might not be as, you know, that, that Justin Fields is underrated. Again, we always hear all of these things every year about these guys and they're just not loved by, you know, what it is, is NFL media. Mm-hmm. I wonder how the actual NFL GMs, the, the, the teams feel about Justin Fields, because I bet it's a lot different. And I think the media is either blowing smoke or there's teams that are given the media information to blow smoke because there's, yeah, like you said, Daniel, you watch that Clemson game and you tell me Justin Fields is not ready to play in the NFL, that he's, what are they, what are, what are they saying? He's immature. What, you know, what, because he, he got the big 10 back to play football this year. That's immaturity. Well, like, no, he is a baller. He's passionate. He's ready to play. And he, he's, He's amazing. Like I'm super excited. If he were to fall to us, I don't know what I'd do. I, you know, I. The only time I got more excited in my life, I think, was when we drafted Adrian Peterson because at the time he was like a god to me. And I ran around my friend's house. I like whipped off my shirt. I was whipping it around. I was so hyped. And I, I think I'd be as excited, if not more, if we got Fields because he's that good. Well, and I'd get a new jersey. The- yeah, you would. Since we're on the topic of quarterbacks and you mentioned Trey Lance, Daniel, I know you mentioned a, an offensive lineman you were you watched from NDSU. Has, has Trey Lance stood out to you while you've watched him? There's a lot of upside with Trey Lance's game. The biggest thing is how does it project out? I love the idea of the dual threat aspect he can bring to any team. And the way the league's moving, you got to have those guys that can play off script and create plays with their legs. And he brings a lot of different dimensions. And you see a guy that if he gets in the right system and has some time to develop, there's a lot of upside. However, there's a lot of bust potential too. So you have to weigh that out. That athletic ability is definitely something that moves the needle a little bit more for him than other prospects. Uh, And, and, you know, how would he have done this season with a little bit more of a schedule? He only played one game. We didn't get a chance to see him play, uh, get an extended look at him this year. But we go back and look at the film from the year before, and you see a lot of that upside and potential that could translate to the NFL. I don't know what's going to happen with the 49ers. I could see them completely blowing smoke right now leaking this Mac Jones narrative, telling, saying, hey, Saban, go out and say that we never spoke to Mac Jones, throw some more smoke out there. Maybe they're going to just take Kyle Pitts and say, here's Kyle Pitts, George (laughs) Kittle, Debo, Brandon Ayuk, and they wanted to snipe the Falcons. I don't know. I'm not ready to say that the the 49ers are taking a quarterback yet. It's just, it it seems likely, but I'm not ready. Rare talent, Miles, rare, rare talent. No, I agree, Daniel. I actually think what the what the 49ers are doing, I think they're trying to create a smokescreen with the Jets and trying to create that uncertainty with the Jets. Like, why is Mac Jones so good? And maybe we should be questioning why 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 aren't we thinking about Mac Jones for the Jets? That's what I think that the 49ers are trying to do, just to create that smokescreen, just to get the the Jets overthinking Mac uh, Zach Wilson because I, my guess is they they love Zach Wilson and that's the guy that they want to get. And if they could find a way to get the Jets to uh, to move off of that because they're like questioning themselves, I, I that's just something I could see because I think you know teams try to play uh, head games all the time. Get the Jets to do uh, uh, what the Jags did back in the day when they just took Blake Bortles and just surprised everybody, right? Yep. Then you just get Zach you Wilson falling right right to to San Fran. But back on the subject of Vikings, uh, <laughs> not quarterback. Who are some other targets that you guys have 
whether that's edge, whether that's wide receiver. Um, we've kind of talked about offensive tackles, but I'm, I'm open to hearing them all. Daniel, you can start us off. Uh, I like Osa Odigizua from UCLA, a defensive tackle, more of a hybrid defensive lineman, you could say, playing multiple techniques in the Bruins defense. 84-inch wingspan, 34-inch arms. I loved watching him at the Senior Bowl. He was really disruptive down there, and a team can use him creatively. I I would like him to play in a 4-3 defense as a three technique because I think that length and explosiveness is always something that I'm looking for with those three technique defensive tackles. And he has that. He was disruptive the whole week at the Senior Bowl. And then you look at his film and what he's able to do there. He's able to you know, extend, shut off of blocks, uh, and is very disruptive as a pass rusher. So ideally with the type of skill set he has, you could line him up on pass rushing downs at, at defensive end. You could kick him inside. He's He's got so much potential and the freaky traits that you see within his game I would love to see the Vikings pick him up and keep an eye on him as a potential mid-round target. Ryan, Miles, any it. any names? I'm a big fan of Osa as well, but uh, I'll transition to a corner. Uh, obviously, we had some recent news, and just there's a lot of uncertainty in our cornerback room with our with the, again the news of both of our really our most recent first round cornerback picks. And um, so I think that's maybe a position we need to address at some point. I don't think it needs to be in the first. I love JC Horn. So if it, I think JC Horn's my favorite cornerback prospect in the last two years, but I, again, I'm not assuming we'll take a first round corner. Um, so a couple names, I'll, I'll throw out a couple and this may be help us transition actually at some point here, but um, so, so first I got to give up my plug to an OU guy, Trey Brown, uh, because I, I do love his game. I think he's going to provide uh, a, some, kick return, punt return ability, but also you can be a high-end um, slot cornerback. So obviously we have Mac uh, Alexander for one year, but again, there's no certainty past that. We have a couple outside corners right now. So I think Trey Brown could be an option. Um, I, I like a guy named Trill Williams out of Syracuse. He's I have watched a little bit more of his stuff. He's interesting. He I think he's a very um, toolsy kind of guy that can play any sort of scheme. He's got the, the traits to be able to – be transcendent across zone, man-to-man, off-man, press-man. I mean, he can do a little bit of everything. He's likely an outside-only corner, though. That's the only limitation he would really have. And then, again, uh, let's go in, maybe transition a little bit, Benjamin St. Juice, right? So he's uh, a cornerback that I think is, is ascending, I love his length. I love his ability to um, re- really, you know, hit the, the, you know, at the point of attack, he's really strong. I think that he has the ability to do a lot within, uh, you know, he didn't have a ton of ball production in terms of interceptions mm-hmm. and things, but he did have a lot of opportunities and, and executed on pass breakups. And honestly, that's a more important stat. Obviously corner, uh, interceptions are sexy. They're amazing, but they're less to, they're going to come less um, than, and than a PBU. So can you get in position? Can you be in that right position to, to, you know, break that pass up? And he does that quite often and, and very well. Again, he's big. He's a big dude. So can you know? Will that length uh, serve him well in 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 the NFL? Like a you know, uh, what was his name? Browning Browner from the or or even uh, Sherman from the Seahawks. In that you know, can that length serve him well, or does he need to transition at some point? I think that it, he's got enough skill set, um, athletic skill set, to stay out on the outside corner and and uh, be really strong um, outside corner for us in the long term. And then also Creed Humphrey, Oklahoma. Let's go. I think, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to take your transition there, my, or Ryan, and cut Miles off here because uh, I do want to get to to both of the Gopher prospects. Um, I know Damn, that, that Viking cut me fans, out. I'm out. I'll let, I'll let you all go. Go ahead. <laughs> I know that the uh, the Viking fans uh, every year, they, they love their Gopher players. Uh, last year with Tyler Johnson and Antoine Winfield Jr., who both would have been phenomenal picks that we've we saw them with the bucks and they turned out great um and i I, there was another another guy that the vikings were linked to last year i can't quite remember the name um but anyway daniel you were at yes thank you um Mm -hmm. daniel you were at the the gopher pro day last week 
you got to watch these guys up front and personal uh, with some other NFL scouts there. So give us the no. What, how did they do? Um, you know, I know St. Juice is kind of flying up draft boards a little bit here uh, down the stretch, but uh, fill us in on Bateman and, and St. Juice. St. Juice has such a unique uh, skill set because he's six foot three, three eighths, 80 inch wingspan, but he moves incredibly well. 401 shuttle at his pro day. He's ran a 386 shuttle back in high school coming into Michigan. It's incredible how this guy has the lateral agility and the ability to mirror receivers, but he also has that size to get into passing lanes. And when you watch him, on film, you'll see he can play off man coverage, play zone, and he will break on the football so quickly. He's got great recovery speed. He's able to use his length to get into passing lanes. I think NFL teams are going to like him a lot because he's very scheme versatile. You can play him in a zone heavy scheme. You can use him as a press man corner on the outside if he gets with the right coach to refine that technique because. You know, he can get grabby at times. That was something at the Senior Bowl. He picked up a couple of flags down there, but he was so disruptive, making plays on the ball. And I know ball production was something that Ryan mentioned. They had a 10.6% havoc rate in 2019, the Gophers cornerbacks did. So that's like pass breakups, interceptions, making plays on the football. That was seventh in the nation. So him and Coney Durr did some really, really, really good things in 2019. That's the film you have to go watch of St. Juice. But Seeing the versatility that he has, I actually asked him if NFL teams have discussed the possibility of playing him at safety, and he said that has come up in some discussions where teams have said maybe a cornerback's going to hit free agents, uh, safety's going to hit free agency at some point, and they may be interested in moving him back there, or there's certain financial depth chart issues that re- would require him to play different spots, but He can really play in any type of defensive scheme that you want. And if you're a coach looking for a guy with freaky size, some unique athletic skills, he's the guy to to get your hands on because someone like Zim could do a lot of really good work with St. Juice because of all the athletic traits that he has and the, the upside and potential. But I also see him being a guy that would fit well with the Jets, the Seahawks, the 49ers, some of those teams that like to play a lot of zone heavy coverage schemes. Are there some, some weaknesses in, in his game? Like why is he considered maybe like a day two pick? I would say one of the biggest things is that production as well. Uh, There were times where I didn't think his 2020 film was particularly strong, but he was in and out. He didn't play very much. And there are times where he doesn't match up as well against the shiftier receivers. He's really, really good against you. You put him on the big possession perimeter X receiver and he'll take care of business. But sometimes the quickness gives him trouble. However, a lot of times he's able to compensate for that because of that agility and that length. So that and the technical components of just maybe not being as grabby, tuning up the press man technique. Those are just some things that I would watch for at the next level. He he has a ton of upside and potential. And I think people in the NFL are recognizing that, especially after seeing what he did at the senior bowl, he helped himself and made a lot of money at the, at the senior bowl in mobile. Yeah. We yeah, had and, um... uh, one of the other things I'll mention too, is obviously technique, a little bit of technique at the, at the, uh, you know, the top of the route, right. He can mm-hmm. get a little better there, but my thing too is, and, and again, and I'm I'm weird like this. I like dogs. He doesn't necessarily have that fire, right? Like he's good. He's quality. I I love his game. But come on, give me a little attitude. Get in that receiver's ear a little bit. Mess with him a little bit. You know, pull that Xavier Rhodes on Odell Beckham Jr. a little bit. He never did that. And obviously, again, that that's more of like a a plus, right? Like like if if I if I'm looking at two receivers again. I'll go back to my third round or my third round, fourth round receivers, St. Juice and Trey Brown, right? And obviously very different corners. So it just depends on what you're looking for. But Brown gets in your ear. 
he like he's a dog. He'll like get in your ear and mess with you a little bit and get in your head, maybe have you overreact, punch punch him in the face, get a penalty. Again, uh, a la Xavier Rhodes and, and Odell Beckham. St. Juice doesn't do that. And again, you don't necessarily need to have that. But again, I look at guys like Jerry Alexander. I look at guys like Deion Sanders, right? You know, these guys who just like to chirp. And I just personally like that in a corner. I also like that in a receiver. I want a little fire in my in my team. Yeah, um, you guys are are talking them up, and uh, we a couple weeks ago we had Eric Crocker on uh, from the Crocker Report to kind of talk about some DBs, and I I asked him, I said, hey, who is this year's Cameron Dantzler? And he straight up said it's Benjamin St. Juice. He felt like uh, he's got so much potential uh, to really be utilized in the NFL, and I want to give Miles a chance to to kind of pump his chest here a little bit because. He was kind of, you know, yeah, I'm pointing at you. Uh, he was kind of talking him up before I think his name was really kind of circulating. Uh, I felt like I had heard Miles talk about him back even like in January. Like, hey, this is a name that I just kind of want to keep an eye on. And here we are a few weeks out from the draft. And your prediction's kind of coming uh, true, Miles. He's he's kind of rising up draft boards. So what do you like so much about about them. Yeah, I think I'm, so I'm not going to re- regurgitate everything that every, everyone said. I think nobody knows a guy like Benjamin St. Juice better than Daniel. So I think you know, everything you heard from Daniel is, is spot on. I think um, the lack of a, uh, of downfield speeds probably where I'm mm-hmm. sure some teams are going to, are going to, are going to ding them a little bit or they'll, they'll be scared of, of that a little bit, especially in like a press man situation. I'm sure they'll see that as a, a little bit of a, a scare weakness uh, type of scenario, but, but overall, he's the type of corner that I think I think he really fits like a Mike Zimmer, uh, Pete Carroll, um, those types of schemes where he could play press. He could play a little bit of press man, but there's also a, a zone scheme um, aspect to to those um, uh, to their schemes on defense. So um, I really could see like a team like Seattle going after him aggressively to fill to replace a Shaq Griffin, for example, because uh, we know that, you know, they lost him. And I think, you know, in that style of scheme, I could really see him playing that Richard Sherman type of role. Um, Ryan talks about the dog aspect of him. I'm, I'm with you. I, I like dogs too in, in my receivers and corners, but at the same time, like you don't have to be a dog to be, to be aggressive. He's an aggressive style player too. So it's not like he doesn't have that aggression in him. It's just not, it doesn't come out in the Jair Alexander type of way. Uh, but there's still some of that to his game. He's a willing tackler. He's the guy that he gets in the mix. So um, I'm just a big fan. I, like I said, everything that Daniel and Ryan, Ryan talked about him, that, that's a, that's a lot of what I was seeing um, early on. Well, then let's shift topics here and talk about the other the other Minnesota Gopher prospect that everybody's talking about now um, and kind of quietly going under the radar a little bit. But it's Rashad Bateman. Uh, he kind of hit su- behind. He surprised me. In what sorry, way? Sorry, Matt. No, Just, go his for height. It. I his height. I always thought he was. I thought he was a big like a big X receiver, like a six, two, I I've never been up, like standing next to him up close or anything like that. But when you see him on screen and on film, especially in, in 20, uh, what are we in? In 2019, when he played the X, X position, you know, and Tyler Johnson played the slot, I thought Rashad Bateman looked like this big, like six, two type of X prototypical X receiver to me. Like he always looked bigger than the corners he was going against. And like, and they see him come in at six foot, not that it's short or anything, it just really surprised me that he wasn't like a six one six two type of receiver. Him and Jamar Chase both kind of surprised me in that area. Just their height. Um, everything else, um, I thought. I, I still don't know if I uh, if I agree with the four three number that Bateman put up. Um, I think he's more of like a high four five four four guy. That's just what I see on tape. But that doesn't also mean that uh, he's not fast. Like he he's a he's got twitch. He's got he's got movement and. Um, He's the kind of guy that gives you that inside-out versatility. I'm not going to put him on Justin Jefferson's level, but I think that style of player at the next level is, is what he could be. He, he could play as. He could be that guy that could play an X, and you could shift him into the slot um, and be that versatile type of receiver. He gets open. He's really good at at creating separation, getting open, and so um, I love that about him. Was his size a surprise to you, Daniel? I was wondering, did he shrink or something? Because I thought for sure he'd test it at 6'1". I thought for sure when they measured him, he'd be 6'1", at least. 
Uh, I didn't think he'd be 6'2", but I thought for sure 6'1". So 6 and 3'8 surprised me. However, like Miles said, the route running is the most impressive aspect of Rashad's game. You got glance RPOs, you got vertical goes, you got corner routes, you got speed cuts, you name it, a diverse route tree. And that's what you get with P.J. Fleck receivers. And that's what makes Tyler Johnson special in the NFL is because he's not the straight line speed burner receiver, but he has a tremendous route tree. He knows how to vary the tempo of his routes, and I think that's something that Rashad is so gifted at, varying the tempo, not dropping his shoulders, keeping his shoulders vertical, as P.J. calls it. That's one of his coaching points. And I think one of the most unique things about how P.J. Fleck coaches wide receivers is he teaches them the U technique when they're catching the ball. So they go like this. They catch the ball like this versus the diamond. So it just gives them more range of motion to catch the ball versus being locked in where your arms are moving up and down. And it's a small little technique thing that PJ's taught his receivers, but it helps their catch radius. And that's one of the things that Rashad is so good at, making catches all over the frame. He gets into contested catch situations. He's able to high point the ball. And I don't think he gets enough credit for yards after the catch ability because there's some big plays where he makes a guy miss, sets up a home run play. He has great vision in the field, good body control, and then the red zone skills as well. He, he runs some great red zone releases, and teams will get value in that area as well. The two dings, I would say, one, I didn't think he played well out of the slot last year. and I, that, I was, that, That's what I was going to say, yeah. That's one of the things. His slot usage was way up, and it didn't make a lot of sense, but Minnesota's wide receiver room was not filled with a lot of depth last year. So you had defensive coordinators coming in and bracketing with linebackers and safeties, and Rashad was trying to come back. He had COVID, and he had asthma and all this stuff, so he was feeling the effects of that, and I think that played a role. But if you go back, look at the 2019 film, I think he's an X receiver, a guy that can play on the perimeter. He does a great yeah. job of getting separation off the line of scrimmage. His starts are really good. His footwork. Uh, and the big thing this year was some drops, too. There were some drops in his game. He dropped some balls. But you did not see that in 2019. So a team that picks him is going to be getting someone that can separate. And I think that's one of the most important things that I look for with receivers. And you saw that with Justin Jefferson, that guy could get separation and Rashad Bateman definitely can. I wonder which type of teams will be interested. Obviously the Titans and the Packers have a lot of interest because GM John Robinson was up here for the Titans. Uh, Brian Gutenkutz from the Packers was up here. They had multiple reps looking at the uh, looking at the pro day in Minnesota. So, Hey, I'm, I'm looking at Bateman going, he could potentially be a guy that goes in the 2025 range. Maybe the Ravens are another team that looks at him. Uh, I think he goes in the late first round. Well, and to your point, Daniel, when, when, uh, when, when they moved him into the slot, I remember watching the first game of the season where, you know, we saw Bateman in the slot. It really surprised. He didn't look as comfortable. You could see it. Uh, he was still getting adjusted to it. Obviously, with COVID and everything, he was coming. He showed up. He, he came in late. All those things, um, mm-hmm. but you could see the uncomfort, the like how uncomfortable he was playing from the slot. He didn't seem that that it didn't feel like a natural position. I remember tweeting out. I was like, "Why did they not keep him in the X position?" That's where it seemed like he 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 killed it last year. Obviously, they had Tyler Johnson to play the slot, so it helped free up his opportunity to play the X. But um, you definitely could see that. Um, his comfort level wasn't as, as, as there in the slot, but as the season went on, he definitely got more comfortable there. And I think what that does for him moving to the next level is it just, it just provides a little bit more of that versatility for him. So I, I agree with you. I think he's an X type of receiver, but now you know that he can, he can work the slot and he probably understands leverage, understands coverage a little bit better because he played in the slot. Mm -hmm. So that just, that just makes his game even more versatile. So that's where I'm a big fan of what he can do. And that just brings more of the mental part of, of his game where, you know, he has, you know, has to understand a little bit more of what a defense is doing from the slot. And that's why um, I said like a Justin Jefferson type, because a lot of people will see the 2020 tape and say, oh, he played in the slot and forget that the season before he was primarily an outside receiver dominating uh, really good talent. Yeah. And <clears throat> to go into Bateman here and obviously we're all we're all from Minnesota here, but I'm not I'm not like a Minnesota stand. 
uh, Gophers stand. I, I like oh. the Gophers. Obviously, I'll cheer for them because they're a local team and all that. But I'm not going to be a guy like – I'm not going to pump – Bateman over most guys. You mean you mean you mean like you do with with Oklahoma? Is that kind of what you're trying to say? That, that absolutely. That's absolutely right. So yeah. like anyone from yeah. Oklahoma automatically gets a like a ground or like a uh, round grade up on me, right? <laughs> but with Bateman, I have him rated two three for me, and so that means he's over Devonta Smith, and he's right there with Chase for me, and that's not any hometown bias because. What I see in him, like you guys, I'm not going to regurgitate all that, but what I see in him is he, he's got so much talent and he's interchangeable in any spot. And, you know, obviously he struggled a little bit early in the slot, but he can play any slot. So when you look at him playing with the Vikings, again, because obviously it's a Viking show, if we were to say, you know what, we we're set everywhere or we feel comfortable everywhere or the depth at offensive tackle or offensive guard in this draft. So we're going to go ahead and take a, uh, take a receiver. You have three guys that can play any any spot on the on on that offense because Jefferson's played slot, Thielen's played slot, Bateman's played slot, and you have three guys that can do anything, and that's a hard to scheme and and defend against. And I, so I'm a big fan of Bateman. I think he he makes some incredible catches. My big my only knock on him is he had some concentration drops. You know, but again, that that they were so limited. It's not like he had drops like you know some other receivers in this class and in like last year's class. I'm a big fan. I think he's and again that speed, Miles. You had said that he doesn't um, uh, his game tape doesn't show that that four three speed. And you're you're right in in a sense because like Daniel said, he varies his speeds and he he sets people up in his routes. So it may look. Yeah, like and I wasn't trying to call him. I wasn't trying to call him slow either. That's that, that's no, no. I know. Sure. I know. Yeah, absolutely. I I know what you're saying when you say that. But like like when Daniel said, when when you know plays after the catch, you know if he can break that tackle, he'll show you that runaway speed. Jamar Chase is the same way. Jamar Chase, he 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 sets people up, but when he needs to get going, he can beat those angles. And and Bateman was the same way. And I. I think that, um, you know, I think between that and his ability to make those incredible catches and his versatility as a receiver, and again, obviously his biggest, biggest, biggest plus is route running. And, and like you said, and I'm glad that you had mentioned that you, that you catching, uh, you know, um, technique that they teach because I didn't realize that, but that's interesting to, to hear. Um, those are some interesting nuggets. I love having some of these guests on because, you know, I don't understand some of that stuff, but his routes and his ability to make those tough catches are very apparent on this tape. And yeah, I have him, I, I have him right up there with tomorrow chase. And I know that's probably a little hot take or whatever, but you know, I, what I see on tape is, is a very high quality receiver that is, I think overlooked. I mean, I'm on board with all of you guys. I mean, I would take, I would take Rashad Bateman here in a heartbeat uh, if the opportunity presented itself. Uh, my worst fear hey, is hey, that Matt, he's going to go. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but you know, I feel like we haven't really addressed the the the, the comments a lot, which is which is you know fine because we've had a lot of good conversation. Can we just give shout out to all the people who are commenting out here, Dan Henneman? You know, you're, you're out here putting out great things, and I want. Oh God, here we go, to, Ryan. Here we go. No, 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 not at all. But you know, he he did <laughs> ask a question twice, and I want to hear Daniel yeah. from this. He asked uh, Daniel Falele or Falele. I don't know how to say his last name. Um, he he's asked, you know, what happened to him, and is he coming back, and what are your thoughts on him? He's going to be back. Uh, we'll see how everything shakes out. How he adjusts back if he's able to get into that starting role because the Gophers have a lot of talent on their offensive line. You saw Ariante Ursary last year get action. Uh, they have a veteran group with Blaze Andres up there and Sam Schluter. And with guys getting that extra year of eligibility, Daniel's going to have to earn it coming back because P.J. Fleck is going to create a lot of competition. And he talked about it last week or a couple weeks ago when we talked to him. Uh, he said – this is one of the most experienced teams I've had. This is really good competition across the roster. And the O-line is arguably the deepest position group on the roster. I mean, they have a lot of returning talent there. Center John Michael Schmitz, I think he has a chance to be a very coveted center in the future here. Minnesota will break the drought of going a very, very, very long time without having an offensive lineman draft. I believe it's like 15 years now since they've had an offensive lineman drafted. Uh, it's like Esslinger and Setterstrom were the last two, so it's been that long 
Minnesota will probably break that drought. Falele has to earn it, but definitely has potential as we've witnessed before. Were there any other questions in there for, for Daniel that I missed? Uh, well, Viking Jerome talked about Jalen Phillips. I think we didn't talk about edge edge rushers. Mm-hmm. I think that's the another position. So it's the one position we haven't seen the Vikings address high in the draft uh, in a long time. I don't think we've seen a first round or even like a um, someone that they've spent significant draft capital on. I think Jared Allen might might be the last guy um, where they traded, you know, the first round. Was it two first round picks? I can't remember the exact. It was a first um, and a fourth, I think. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So they spent they spent a first round pick on a on a defensive end, and I guess um, uh, last year when they traded for uh, Ngakwe would be considered something similar. But um, it's one position that I'm just I can't really get a beat on with the Vikings. So we know at least what we've heard is that they tried to go after Trey Hendrickson and uh, Carl Lawson in free agency, even though they, they'll tell you that uh, Dalvin Tomlinson was their A one guy. Um, so they tried to go after a couple of those guys. So we and we've always known that. Uh, Defensive end is an important position in this defense. So they're very much keen on that position. So it, it does make me question, like, with Stephen Weatherly and uh, DJ Wanham playing opposite uh, Daniel Hunter right now, they always like to have four guys, and they truly they don't have, like, a, a, a true starting defensive end opposite Hunter. So it does make me wonder, like, what is their plan there if it's not early in the draft? Because they don't have a second-round pick. And maybe they wait till the third round, but, and I'm okay with them letting that be a position where it's like, well, we got a few guys that can rotate because they've put so much into the defense already. You can, you can't, you can't have a plus talent everywhere. That's just, it's hard. And so you're going to have to kind of give and take on the defensive side of the ball without taking too much else from the offense. But it's also a position where I feel, I feel something's going to happen, nothing major, but I just think they're going to do something else to address that position. Well, and there's there's a big name in the draft that Daniel, I'm sure you did a lot of research on watching that Michigan tape is Quiddy Pay. Mm-hmm. What, what are your yeah, thoughts Quiddy on him? Quiddy Pay is a guy that I really like, and I would not be opposed to pulling the trigger on him. However, Miles, you you mentioned something interesting there that I think you can build off of. It's Vikings with that June first designation on Rudolph. They're going to be getting some additional yep. cap space after the draft. So maybe you let the draft play out. Okay. You look at what, what happens with the draft? Do you go offensive line heavy with the first few picks? Maybe you trade back like we talked about. Then do you look at maybe signing a veteran pass rusher? Do you go to a guy like Jadavian Clowney, try to come up with a one-year deal, bring him in as a rotational pass rusher? There are options like that with seeing how the draft plays out first. And maybe you do like Quiddy Pay. I think you watch his game against Minnesota. The film is so impressive. I mean, the guy's technique has gotten better and better, like what he can do against the run as well. Uh, there are just some complete things in his tape. You don't see guys that can move like that. I mean, you see that three-count drill that he does online, the clip that goes all over the place. He just glides. He's one of the most athletic players in the country having a chance to develop his technique and get a bigger arsenal under Andre Patterson would certainly be enticing, but I'd keep an eye on veteran pass rusher, maybe when the smoke clears and you get some more relief. I think that's a solid point. Um, I would love to keep chatting about this, but we are, are pushing an hour mark here. So we got to wrap it up, but I do want to give Daniel an opportunity here to kind of plug anything that he's working on, uh, and, and kind of let the viewers know when they can expect to see uh, whatever you're potentially doing. Uh, as always, you can go over to gophersguru.com. That's where I have all the premium Gophers content. I'll be posting a lot of different things with spring football going on with the Gophers. And then the Vikings with the draft coming up over on mnvikingscorner.com. I'll throw some stuff up there occasionally. Uh, Gophers is obviously taking a lot of time right now because I'm doing a subscription-based site there, but I'll always dabble back into the Vikings around the draft and give some of my insight there. I've been diving in. I've been behind the scenes watching a lot of films, so it's been fun to do that again and dive into the prospects that the Vikings might be interested in. Fantastic. I uh, I look forward to to kind of seeing that stuff that you roll out. Um, Ryan Miles, thanks for joining tonight. And Daniel, thank you for making the time uh, to kind of come on here and, and give us your knowledge of, of the Gopher prospects of, of the NFL draft in general. 
Um, we're probably going to be doing stuff the weekend of the draft, uh, some big coverage stuff. So if you're free, potentially, uh, I'll hit you up offline here, but uh, maybe we can get you on for a little bit and get your, your feedback on how the draft is going. Yeah, I'd love to do it again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. For everyone listening, uh, thanks for joining. And we will make sure to prioritize comments next week. Uh, I'm sorry, I kind of got lost in the shuffle here tonight. Uh, potentially, we'll have Doogie back on next weekend or next week to talk about uh, some Vikings uh, scoops. If not, uh, he's also pretty busy right now. We will, we will plug and play some other guests. So uh, come back next week. And until then, skull, everybody. Thank you for watching or listening. As always, if you like, subscribe, and ring the bell for notifications. And if you're listening to the podcast, please rate us on your favorite aggregator. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.